One of my favorite things about St. Patrick's Day is that it occurs each year smack dab in the middle of Lent. Right in the middle of our fasting, in the middle of our sorrow over sin, in the middle of our dust and ashes, we get to take a break, raise our glasses, and throw a party. A feast in the midst of a fast. Thank you, St. Patty. That's kind of what it felt like a moment ago when we heard today's gospel reading from Luke. Because over the last few weeks, we've been with Jesus in the wilderness, enduring our fasts, struggling with our own temptations. We've been journeying with Jesus toward the cross as he laments the state of our world and the state of our hearts. And we've been urged by him to take advantage of the limited amount of time that we have to repent. There has been this somberness in the air, appropriate for the season. But then, smack dab, in the middle of this Lent, we get to hear one of the gospel of Luke's all-time greatest hits. The parable of the prodigal son. And we get to marvel at the celebration that ensues upon his return. This story is truly a feast in the midst of our fast. Now, the telling of this parable comes on the heels of a controversial action taken by Jesus himself. He's also smack dab in the middle of of his own Lenten journey, that is, his own journey to Jerusalem, to the cross. Recall back that in Luke chapter 9, we are told that Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem. That's a, a key turning point in the book of Luke. So that chapters 10 to 19 become a sort of a, of a travelogue for this journey. And again, about halfway through Jesus' journey to the cross, here at the beginning of chapter 15, we learn that Jesus is having his own St. Patrick's Day of sorts. As all these tax collectors and sinners were, were coming near to listen to him, drawn to what Jesus had to say. And so, he not only welcomes them in, but he eats and drinks with them, which is code for throwing a party. He's having a feast in the midst of a fast. And he's having this feast with all the wrong people. This is the controversy Tax collectors and sinners, these weren't simply friendly folks who had been misunderstood in their own time, no. Tax collectors were sellouts to a foreign government who made a good amount of money cheating their own people. And sinners were designated as such, not because, you know, everybody's a sinner, but because their offenses were so severe that they had gotten themselves thrown out of the synagogues. All of these people deserve to be despised and marginalized. But this Jesus, he does the opposite. He welcomes them in and throws a party. How how dare he? No wonder there was so much grumbling against this Jesus. Well, in response, Jesus offers a trilogy of parables. The parable of the lost sheep the parable of the lost coin, and of course the parable of the lost son, or the prodigal son. And each of these three parables conclude, yes, 
with a celebration, a a party in heaven because there is someone who repents. And it's in this parable of the prodigal son that Jesus makes the strongest connection with his own behavior. That is with his inclusion of the riffraff. Because just like the tax collectors and the sinners, the prodigal son's actions are reprehensible and without excuse. He says to his father, give me the share of the property that will one day belong to me. That is, once you're dead and gone. In other words, dad, drop dead. I'm on my own now. I want nothing to do with you. And so he takes the money and runs. Not to start a successful, a successful business, not to save or make a few wise investments, not even to purchase the essentials of life, you know, a place to stay, a few clothes, some daily bread. No, he takes his inheritance, that good family fortune that took years of sweat and hard work to amass, and in the span of a few days, he blows it all on a thrill ride, on entertainment and loose living. Until one day, he wakes up to a hangover. He wakes up to empty pockets and nowhere to go. And so desperate, he lands a job that places him where no good Jew at the time would be caught dead in. In the muddy fields, feeding swine. That's how far this guy is from home. That's how deep his rebellion against the father runs. And that is ultimately right where sin wants to take us, to a place of despair, where we're crouching near a pen of muck and excrement, so hungry that you're eyeing those indigestible pods and scraps that the pigs can't even keep down. An absolute dead end. Such is the wages of sin. Well, if you're like me, then you can't help but to give a little grin at this point. Because it it serves them right, you know? To do something like that, to dishonor your family, your name, and your God. Poetic justice when rebellious folks get what's coming to them, don't you think? But you're probably more spiritual than I. You've probably taken the opportunity afforded to you this Lent to see that... uh, the same sort of rebellion lies within your own heart. Perhaps you've come face to face with the fact that the the forces that push this prodigal into the pigsty lives also within you, pushing you, as it does, away from God and away from loving others. That's why this is such an important season for us, a time to look in the mirror and see the prodigal staring right back at us. A time to come to terms with the fact that we're all tax collectors and sinners hiding behind those thin layers of religiosity. This is exactly where Lent, our time of fasting, is meant to take us. But not that we might grovel in our shortcomings. Not that we might throw our own personal pity parties. But rather that we might come to our senses Just like the prodigal of whom the text says he came to himself. What a great phrase. 
He comes to himself. He, he faces up to the reality of his own situation and says, to, and says, I don't have to live like this. I can get up and return to my father. That is, I can repent, confess my wrongdoings, and at least eat the breadcrumbs that fall from his table. You see, the prodigal learned something that Lent is meant to teach all of us. That self-examination leads to repentance, and that repentance leads us out of the mess. It leads us to a better place. You see, for a Christian, repentance is one of the main tools of the trade. For us, it should be a way of life. You know, when Jesus begins his ministry, that's uh, his constant invitation, remember? He goes around preaching, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, so repent is what he says. Turn from the destructive path that your life is on and follow me. And then on the day of Pentecost, the early church, they carry on the tradition, don't they? After the apostle Peter preaches his sermon to a crowd of people wondering what all the commotion is about, the people are then cut to the heart. What then shall we do, they cry. And Peter's response, repent. Turn around and come back to the, to the one God who has sent you, Jesus, as your Messiah and your Lord. We must repent. But let us not fool ourselves into thinking that such a decision is a, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. No, to be a Christian is to make repentance a way of life. To be a Christian is to turn back to God time and time again because we're all prone to wander, and we do it every day. Sometimes our wanderings are but for a moment. Sometimes we stray off the path for weeks, maybe months. Sometimes we will follow a line of sin for years without even realizing. We don't even see it, which is why we so desperately need seasons like Lent. These times of fasting and prayer so, so as to be more introspective, to examine our hearts, to do some deep internal work so that we too might come to ourselves and say, I, I'm in that pigsty again, but I don't have to live like this. I can get up and return to my father and at least eat the breadcrumbs that fall from his table. You see, self-examination leads to repentance and repentance leads us out of the mess. That's not all. But lo and behold, to our great surprise, it, it's much, much better than this. Repentance not only gets us out of the mess, but it is met with a great rejoicing. This is the scandal of Jesus' parable. That our repentance is always met with a cosmic joy. That our fasts are always met with a heavenly feast. For as we become more and more aware of our sins, of the things that we cling to, as we become more and more aware of the distractions that take our eyes off of the Father, the more we are given the opportunity to repent, to turn and head back home, and each time we do so, we discover not breadcrumbs falling from the table, but the Father running out to embrace us every single time. It's, it's scandalous. In this parable, 
The father is represented as foolishly lavish toward his prodigal son. In fact, he's more prodigal than the prodigal son himself. I mean, think about it. The father would have shown admirable generosity if he had simply accepted his son home as a slave after he had disgraced the family. That would have been terrific. But to be actually watching for his son's return home from the front porch and then to rush out to meet him as soon as he comes into sight and then to wrap his arms around him, to clothe him with a robe and sandals and place a ring on his finger and then to kill the prize calf and throw, yes, a party. I mean, that is completely over the top. Embarrassingly so. But to our great surprise, when we repent, the same kind of extravagance meets us. When we repent, we get to trade our own hunger for the fatted calf, our own sackcloth for a new robe. When we repent, we get to trade our ashes for jewelry, our kneeling for dancing, and our tears for shouts of joy. With our every repentance, we sit down to a feast in the midst of a fast. Don't you love what the father says to the elder son after he complains about such extravagance? Words that happen to be exactly what Jesus wants the grumbling Pharisees to hear. The father says, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Don't you love that? We, we had to celebrate? I mean, that's why Jesus is throwing a party for the tax collectors and sinners. That's why Jesus is throwing a party for you and for me whenever we repent. Because the Father has to celebrate. The heavens must rejoice. Because someone dead has come to life again. Because behold, there is a new creation now. Everything old has passed away. Look, everything is becoming new. Friends, take advantage of the fast. Stay with your Lenten practices. Give time for self-reflection. Because every time you discover a place in your heart where sin has yet to loose its grip, this becomes for you now an opportunity. An opportunity to break your fast with a feast. To turn back to God and watch the heavens break out with rejoicing. And to have Jesus wrap his arms of love around you once again. This is a feast in the midst of a fast. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you are a God that searches after us, that always meets our repentance with open arms and a party where heaven itself is rejoicing. Help us not to be afraid of coming to terms with our own sin. Help us not to be afraid to fast and examine our hearts so that we might find those areas where we can turn and come back to you and always find you waiting with extravagance. Thank you that you are that kind of God and that you invite us to share in your life in that deep way. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.